I am not an Instagram person. I am not fond of Instagram. I, I, I don't get on Instagram. But I knew this series was coming up. I knew it was coming up. And so I decided, I decided that I would make a post on Instagram. Now, as, as a backstory, if you hear me on the third floor, you will hear me tell students to follow me on Instagram, at TX. I'm a great follow. Follow me on Instagram, at TX. But it's a joke, because my last post was from the summer of 2013. And so they, they, like, they get on, and they, um, they find me, and they're like, Michael, you haven't posted in six years. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm a great follow. I will never clutter your newsfeed, like ever. Like, and so they, okay, whatever. And they follow me because they're nice people. And so I was like, okay, I'm getting ready, getting ready for this series. And I was like, I, I even have to get on Instagram to even know what it looks like now. And so I, it, surely it's changed in some way, right? Not really. But so I got on Instagram and I decided I would make my first post in a long time. And so I made, I made my first post in six years. And I was like, oh, okay, that... That's what I posted. I got, I got like 60-something likes. I was like, okay, that, that's pretty good, uh, I guess. I don't know. Um, and so that is my son, Judah, that was taken um, here at Weekday Education. Um, and that is the nicest he will ever look. Um, it's not a real reflection of him and his heart. Um, no, no, no. They, <laughs> he really is a sweet kid. And so, and so we, we have this idea of Instagram, and we live in this world of of just wanting to, to be able to put stuff out there. And sometimes people do it for likes, sometimes people do it for all sorts of things, but what it really boils down to for a lot of people is the ability to influence. Now, influence, we, we have this idea of influence, and if we talk about it especially in this adult context, influence is going to come across as this like, massive amount of leadership. Like you are a mover and a shaker. The influencers in the world are those with these massive followings. And we look at influence as only on the scale of these great magnitudes, but the reality is everyone, including myself, wants to be an influencer because we simply want to have an impact in the lives around us. And so our influence, we may not have aspirations to influence thousands, but we certainly do have aspirations to impact the feelings, the thoughts, and even the actions of those around us. And so we know that even a student who, who does not have the desire to have thousands of followers, when her friend is having a hard time, she wants to have influence in that friend's life. She wants to influence her to feel better. And if you look at the needs of our community, and you see a deficiency going on in our community, you may not want to lead a multi-million, multi-billion dollar nonprofit organization that changes the world, but you may have this internal desire to influence others around you to simply see the need in Georgetown. And so while, while we may not all have aspirations to be an influencer in the sense of millions, we all want influence of some sort. And here's the reality for me. My greatest desire as an influencer is to help families and help students see what it means to follow Jesus and know that it's worth the price you pay. I, I, I want you to know. I want you to know what it's actually like to follow Jesus and know that it comes at a cost. That's one of the great things in Scripture that I love so much about Jesus. He doesn't lie to us. He never lies to us. And he tells us, you should consider whether or not it's worth it. And every single time you decide that it's worth it, it comes back true. It's worth it. It's worth it. And I want teenagers to see it's worth it. I want families to see it's worth it. And I want even my own family to see it's worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus. So if I can influence people in any way, I just want them to know it's worth it. 
to follow Jesus. And so the question that we wrestle with throughout this series, and I just want to put it on your mind and so it can simmer there for the next few weeks. The question is, since I have influence, since I have influence, how do I want to use it? Since I have influence, how do I want to use it? We all have influence. There are people whose lives we impact. And it does us no good to compare the scope of our influence to those people sitting next to us because we are not going to be held accountable for their scope of influence. We will be held accountable for our scope of influence. And so since we all have influence in our own spheres, in our own worlds, in the lives that we walk in, since we have influence, how do we want to use it? And so we're going to be in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 today. Philippians chapter 2. And so as Paul, as Paul writes Philippians, he's, he's got this concern that division within the church may be about to occur. Now earlier in the book of Philippians, he's already kind of addressed it some. And so he's going to follow up addressing it a little bit more. But Paul knows Paul knows that division in the church is going to distract and take away from the ability to achieve the mission of the local church. Anytime, anytime there's division within any local church, it's going to distract from the mission and it's going to take away from the ability to achieve that mission. I think back to my own church experiences about different divisions that have arisen in the church. One of my memories as a teenager was when we had our town hall business meeting at my home church where we were deciding whether or not to move our second worship service to a different style of worship. Like, wow, we, we want to have a more contemporary service. And I just remember from the back of the room, one of the guys in the church who stood up and said, I don't think we need any of that goosing around in our church. Now, as a teenager... As a teenager, that phrase, goosing around, uh, really stuck. Here's, here's the reality. That divided our church. And I, I watched over the next few years of uh, feeling called into ministry, assessing what it meant to be a church leader, and saw that the efforts, the efforts of our church became making sense of a worship style. The mission of the local church is not worship style. Christ did not come to earth to initiate a specific style of worship. He didn't. If he did, we'd be doing it. But he didn't. He came to earth for a completely different purpose. And we know that the mission of the local church is certainly not worship style. But I watched for years as our congregation focused on worship style as the end all. In the 90s, that really was what would divide a church. It would. And, and I look back on it as somebody who, um, and, and this is like an aside, like millennials in general, we're, like we're okay with pretty much anything from a music standpoint. Like the liturgy, the high church stuff, the old stuff, we're okay with. The new stuff, we're okay with. We're not going to be the ones that have that battle. We'll, we'll draw lines on other areas and we'll, we'll distract our churches in different ways. And so it's not that we're like infallible and we won't mess up. We'll... We'll just argue about other things. And so I look back, though, in your experience and my experience, we have seen what a divided church does as far as distracting from the mission of the local church. And so Paul, Paul writes to this church, 
And he's, he's aware that there's distractions, there's divisions that are occurring, and he wants to avoid that. So he gives them this challenge. The challenge isn't about being good. This, this challenge, he doesn't look at the Philippians and say, hey, be good. And it's, it's not stop doing bad. A lot of times we sum up the Christian life as do good things and stop doing bad things. Do good, don't do bad, and you'll be a great Christian. But the Christian life is so much richer, so much deeper than that. It's not just some moral code. And so he looks at the Philippians and he says, it's rooted in your very being, what I'm about to call you to do. It's the overflow, actually, of if your life is aligned with Christ's. And so in Philippians chapter 2, he's going to ask something of the church. He's going to challenge them in a very specific way. But before he does, he sets them up to say yes to the challenge. Before asking something of them, he gives them the reason why they should say yes. Philippians 2 verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, and if any affection and mercy. If, in this passage, really means since. This is the implied positive. An implied positive is where it, it is stated, and what follows is implied to be true. You can almost interpret it as since. Now, at our home, we use the implied negative quite a bit. If you have finished your dinner, you can have dessert. The implied negative says, since you have not finished your dinner, you cannot have dessert. Because we know. We know that, des- that the dinner is not finished. If you have cleaned your room, you can go outside and play. The implied negative is, since you haven't, you can't. And so this right here is an example of the implied positive. Since you've experienced encouragement, since you've experienced the consolation of love, since you have fellowship with the Spirit, and so... He's making the case these things are true. So the area of the encouragement of, in Christ, the encouragement in Christ, it is this feeling of confidence to face the day because we know that we are saved. In fact, we, we look at the, the minutiae, the, the minor things of life, and we say in the grand scheme of things, the fact that I have encouragement in Christ, that my salvation is, is safe and secure in Christ, I have the ability, I have the courage, I have the fortitude to face today. So since you have that encouragement, since you have the consolation of love, since you've experienced the comfort that comes from following Christ, since you've gone through adversity, the pains of life, the chaos of life, the the suffering of loss, and Christ has been with you every step of the way, and you walk through these terrible times and yet your heart is okay, you experience this comfort that cannot be explained, since you've experienced that consolation of love, that comfort from Christ's love, if you've experienced, since you've experienced fellowship with the Spirit, since you're, you're, you're united, united with the actual Spirit of God who is reorienting your mind, reorienting your focus, since you look at your fellow believers and know that their experience is similar to your experience because the Spirit Himself indwells within you, since you've received the affection and mercy of God at salvation, since, since the full love of God was made known to you in your salvation, since you experienced mercy, since you've experienced all these things, you have experienced all these things, make my joy complete. Am I thinking the same way? 
having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He, he looks at them and says, you've experienced all these things, so make my joy complete. If it wasn't enough, if, if it wasn't enough to look at them and say, hey, guys, you're... Your Christian experience is not summed up with heaven. Like you, you did not become a Christian to just wait for heaven. These four things that are listed out in verse 1, these are here and now benefits to being a Christian. If we, if we look at the Christian life as if it's all out there, we shortchange the Christian life. In fact, a lot of us, if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church like I did, your experience may be where the totality of the goodness of salvation is something you wait for in heaven. Where we think, oh yeah, yeah, just be a good person while you're here on earth, but really, 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 you want to become a Christian so you don't have to go to hell. And some of us bought into a Christianity that's devoid of the day-to-day joys of being found in Christ. And so Paul lists out in verse 1 all those day-to-day joys, and he takes it a step further, and he says, but it's not just those joys you experience, like make my joy complete. Paul committed his life to going around on journey after journey to share the good news of Christ with all these different people. And so what would happen is he'd go into an area, he'd preach the gospel, and these people would come to Christ, and this new little fledgling church would form. And Paul saw them as his own children. And so he would care for them. He would live with them. He would sacrifice financially and physically to make sure that they received the care that they needed as baby Christians. And so he leverages this emotional aspect, this relational dynamic. He said, it's not just what you've experienced from Christ. Like, make my joy complete. It's Paul who's asking. It's the person who poured his life into you. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. He says, if, if you want to make my joy complete, think the same way. Realize, realize that if, if we are to be unified as a body, if this local baby church is to be unified, then you've got to have the same foundation to the way you process the world. Think the same way. That doesn't mean that you're identical. That doesn't mean that there's some dictator sitting above saying, you have to think this way. It says, no, no, we, we are aligned with how we see the world. And so when we make decisions, we're aligned on the same foundation, having the same love, meaning your, your love is not from yourself. You have to realize that the love you display in the local church, in the community, in your families, is a love that is fueled by Christ himself. And anytime we veer outside of the love of Christ as the energizing force, as, as our ability to love, We've abandoned the same love, so have the same love. United in spirit and intent on one purpose, which means not only only do you need to be united on the foundation of how you think and how your heart feels, but even your motivations and what you're trying to accomplish needs to be unified. So he, he, he goes on and on and on, listing out all the reasons why that these people should submit themselves to the authority of Christ and to unify themselves. Now, one thing uh, I want to point out, and this may be you as we go into this new year, Paul's about to list out um, kind of this formula of taking off something and putting something on. One of the things that's so cool in the New Testament 
is this principle of take off, put on. It's how change occurs in our lives. And so we, we get it. If, if you want to have a healthier New Year, you want to have a healthier diet, you, you take off soda and you put on water, not water weight, but you take off drinking soda and you put on drinking water, you start drinking water. And so Paul's about to hit in a couple of verses here what these guys need to take off and put on instead if they are truly going to be unified. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. So take off. Like If you want to be unified, take off selfish ambition. Take off conceit. And put on. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. So take off selfish ambition, take off conceit, and put on humility. It goes on in verse 4. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests. So take off looking out only for your own interests. So if you're wired in such a way that says, hey, I, really, I'm, really, I'm worried about me right now. Honestly, there's so many things in this world going on. Like right now, I've just got to put my head down and focus on what I need to focus on. If that's your wiring, Paul says, stop looking out for your, only your own interest. Take that off, but put on looking out for the interest of others. Looking out is a proactive stance. It's this posture that says, I will scan the horizon for what's important. I'm not waiting for the horizon to tell me what's important. I'm looking at the horizon to see what's out there that I or we need to know. And so he says, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others, which means you take a proactive stance at looking out for the needs, the interests of others. Do you know what the opposite of that sounds like? If they would have just asked, I would have. All they had to do was ask. I think we use that mindset and that posture as justification for not loving people the way we've been called to love them. See, the reality is people in need may not ask. They may not because of shame, because of this feeling of weakness, because of this feeling of being a burden. Because they, they, there's this in their mind, they're like, I, they shouldn't help me. They shouldn't have to help me. We should be able to do this on our own. We should have this. Loving people look out for the interests and needs of others. We proactively scan the horizon to see what the people in our world need. So he goes through all these things, making this appeal. And then he, he, he wants to summarize it. He, he says, okay, if you're going to look at what Christian unity actually looks like, if the church is going to be unified, if we are going to be a people who are thinking the same way, feeling the same way, acting the same way, for the same mission, then what do we need to do? Verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Quite simply, if, if we are to move together, if we are moved ahead, ahead together as a congregation, then our best bet is to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. When we adopt something, we need to understand. Adoption means that we take something that is, naturally, that is not naturally born to us and bring it into us. When we adopt the attitude of Christ, what we have to recognize is the attitude of Christ is not natural to us. 
We are bringing into our lives an attitude that is not normally ours. And so the, the, the Christian who says, I want to adopt the attitude of Christ, has to first recognize that the attitude of Christ is not their own naturally, but, but it can be. Because one of the great joys of being a Christian is that God's Spirit indwells within us and actually changes our very being so that we become made more and more into the likeness of Christ. And so the attitude, if, if you want uh, just kind of a simple formula of how I process what an attitude is, like in a five-year-old who won't clean their room, you know what an attitude is. But an attitude, how do we explain that as we're processing what it means to change our lives? It's, for me, it's thinking and feeling that leads to action. Thinking plus feeling that leads to action. How we think, how we feel about something, and how we act really reveals and kind of combines to create what our attitude is. And so a person with a positive attitude, you, you know these people. You know these, in any situation, the way they think about that situation just sounds positive. You, you talk about it as if everything's going to be okay. It's like, yeah, yeah, because I think it will be. And like, but emotionally right now, you're not angry. Well, no, 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 why should I be angry? Like, how do you have so much joy in the midst of this? And you look at that positive person and they're, they're thinking and they're feeling is positive. And it leads to an action that is positive because positive people in those situations don't go out and do negative things. They do the things like, oh man, I wish I could do that. But our, our issue a lot of the times is that we're not actually thinking and feeling the same way they are. And so our actions don't follow. So adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So these next passages are going to reveal some of the way that Christ feels and thinks. Who? Existing in the form of God, this is Jesus, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And so we praise God that we have this opportunity for salvation because Jesus would humble himself in such a way that our salvation could be attained. But we look back at this pastor and we say, oh, this is a guy. This is a guy who, who in his thought process made the conscious decision to humble himself. He said he didn't even want to exploit, take advantage of, leverage equality with God. Instead, he took the form of a servant. And so his thinking and his feelings led him to actions, and that led ultimately to our ability to be saved. And he goes on, verse 9. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We do give praise to Jesus. like We do, like the, the church, Christians. We, we confess that Jesus is Lord, and as we do so, we bring glory to the Father. One of the incredible parts of this passage, though, it's not just us. Like eventually, Christ who humbled himself will be exalted on high, and all people of all time will recognize that Christ is the King of kings, and all knees will eventually bow to Jesus. And so we look at the Son of God, and we, we look at Jesus who had more influence, more power, than anyone we could ever imagine. And we ask the question, what did he do with it? Since I have influence, what will I do with it? 
since Jesus had influence, what did he do with it? Quite simply for Jesus, he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. So if we were to be people who live out verse 5, and if, you, if you're looking for a memory verse or a passage to, to talk about with your family this week, I'd encourage you, Philippians 2, 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Because that's, that's passage that if we were to pray about it, think about it, and apply it to our own lives, would be one that would answer a lot of questions about how we handle different situations. And so if Jesus humbled himself, then by default, the implied response for people who are adopting the same attitude as Christ would humble themselves. And so to be an influencer, choose humility. So to help you think through that, you've got some small group questions in a minute, but before you answer those, I want to just ask some, some questions. I wrote these down um, just to help process, and if these stick out and you want to reflect on them later, uh, I encourage you to do so. Okay, what power, influence, or assets do I have that can be used for the benefit of someone else? What power, influence, or assets do I have that can be used for the benefit of someone else? At work, who can I promote, encourage, or strengthen that is beneath my level? At work, who can I promote, encourage, or strengthen that's beneath my level on the org chart? At home, where can I serve that is, in quotes, beneath me in that category of, in quotes, I shouldn't have to? Where can I serve that's beneath me or in the category of, I shouldn't have to? At school, who can I show the love of Jesus by risking my own status? What power, influence, or assets do I have that can be used for the benefit of someone else? Second question. What one thing can I do this week to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus? What one thing can I do this week to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus? A couple of suggestions. Number one, spend time with Him. You will never have the attitude of Christ if you aren't walking with Christ. There, there's no aspirations within the Christian life that's that can be fulfilled apart from Christ himself. And so if you aren't actively communing with Christ in his word and in prayer, then you will not have your attitude, your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions conformed into his likeness. So spend time with him. Second, spend time doing his work. You will never have the attitude of Christ if you aren't working with Christ. Because Christ's attitude, by default, is proactive. It's action-oriented. It is fulfilling the mission that God placed him on earth to do. And so in turn... If we're walking with Christ, our attitudes will be more aligned with His. And here's a bonus question, because we all love bonus questions. It's for extra credit, and uh, we did start the new semester. Your parenting teens class report card will come out in May. But bonus question that ties in with our FBG vision series, how am I going to use my influence to help someone close to me move closer to Jesus? How am I going to use my influence to help someone close to me move closer to Jesus? If you weren't planning on going to the 11 o'clock worship service today, I encourage you to go to the 11 o'clock worship service. Over this next month, Kevin Eckert, our lead pastor, will be leading us through uh, what our vision, what our aim, what our focus is for 2020. We go back to like the timeliness of this message in Philippians 2, where Paul says to be unified so that we can work ahead together. Uh, as a congregation, we need to be unified so we can fulfill the local church's mission 
in 2020. So part of doing that would be hearing from our lead pastor about where we're heading.